Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Village Global's Venture Stories. I'm here today joined by my teammate, Lucas, and we're here today joined by two very special guests, Travis Hedge, co-founder at Vouch, and Nick Shalek, partner at Ribbit. Uh, Travis, Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Excited to be here. Thanks, Eric. Let, let's start with an intro to, to Vouch for people who are unfamiliar. Travis, why don't you describe what Vouch is and why you set out to build it? And so Vouch is an insurance company for the innovation economy. You know, we uh, my backstory goes back. I was kind of born into the insurance world. Grew up wearing a sweater vest for career days, and I wanted to be a broker like my dad, but kind of took a winding path to get there. And it was ultimately at, you know, when I was at Silicon Valley Bank on the SV Capital team, actually doing a lot with Nick and the Ribbit team. And we'll kind of get into that, that backstory that led to us starting Vouch. You know, I had seen where my parents' agency here in Columbus, Ohio got hacked a few years ago. And so it got me thinking a lot about what are not only, you know, he should have had a cyber policy in place, but also what are those first line of defense things? that entrepreneurs everywhere should be doing to protect their businesses from the same risks that Fortune 500 companies face, but with a fraction of the resources. We also got to see how you know all the companies that we were working with were managing their commercial insurance and how it was a pretty painful, broken process, really not intended for you know venture-backed, high-growth companies. And so spent a few years looking for a company like Vouch and kind of scanning the market. We knew there was an opportunity to build a carrier in the commercial insurance category based on what we'd seen in personal lines. And so was really fortunate to team up with Nick in kind of 2017, 2018 and say, let's, let's build it ourselves. And so Vouch is, again, an insurance company for not just technology companies, but now life science companies as well. And our goal is to be you know, the uh, de facto exclusive commercial insurance partner for high growth tech companies from company formation all the way through IPO. And so we've been working on that now for, for about three years and been you know, really fortunate to have Nick and the, and the Ribbit team behind us. And Nick, you guys have been involved since the very beginning, right? So wh- why don't you tell us a little bit about um, how you met Travis and, and how you guys worked together to, to build the company from, from scratch? You know, the, the founding story, I guess, is as Travis laid it out. This is a problem we'd been thinking about for years um, since the, the start of Ribbit. I, I think it, it really just started from a customer experience perspective. We could see that tech founders could get their business up and running with a modern software experience in pretty much any category. You know, if you wanted payments, you could get it in five minutes. If you wanted payroll, you know, now there were players like uh, Gusto or Rippling. If if you needed accounting, that was all available online. But insurance was basically the same experience as 100 years ago. You were asking a friend to introduce you to a broker you didn't want to talk to. And, and so we just knew, we knew tech founders that, and that wasn't what they wanted. I think from a business model perspective, like you didn't have to look beyond SVB or Stripe or Brex or, or several other companies that were serving the innovation economy to see that this can be like a really powerful way to grow a business. If you can find and serve customers that are building the future, like you really end up with the wind at your back. That was sort of the lesson from watching those companies. But but thinking about an idea, obviously is not the same as executing on it. In the end, we, we did this because Travis and Sam, who are two people we known for a really long time, they showed up and they wanted to pursue the idea. And we like could not have described better founders for building this, you know, in part because they just had the right DNA. For, this is a very complex business to build. It's about growth, but it's also about risk. And developing insurance products for tech companies requires, uh, you know, getting your hands really dirty in the insurance components of, of the company. 
we, we just found the right people. And, and then we were lucky from early on to have um, SVB, YC, and some other partners that have helped uh, Vouch kind of develop into the company that it is now. I want to make sure Nick gets a little more credit there because I think he and, and the Ribbit team had basically like thought through every dimension of this business before we got it off the ground. And like I was, you know, so if you go back when I first came to, to Silicon Valley, I was coming from the nationwide insurance team. So like thought I knew a thing or two about insurance. And I remember we did this, like I was six months in, I was excited about all the shiny objects of like drones and AR VR. And I was like, ah, maybe we should get back into this insurance thing. So called the smartest guy that I knew at Nationwide, this guy, Alex Tim, and turns out he was like, had just left a week prior to go start a company that became Root Insurance. And I remember around that time, I got to meet Nick for the first time at this like VC wine tasting thing or something. And he asked me like, hey, you're coming from insurance. What should I be looking for? And I I remember when we were at Nationwide, the big thing that we were looking for was direct commercial opportunities. So that was the first thing out of my mouth. And then fast forward a couple more years and Nick and I got the chance to work together on Route. And I remember after every board meeting, we talk about, hey, like, where's the route for commercial? Are you still looking at this? I'm still looking at this. And, you know, I remember getting a call from Nick a couple of years later, like, hey, we're getting really serious about this. What do you think? And that's when things really kicked off. But it was I was very fortunate that Nick Nick had basically already thought through every angle on this and 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 went straight into hey how do we build something together versus I think like you know one party pitching the other right so we're going to talk about in a bit about all things insurtech but before we get to that I thought it would be fun to just cover a little bit of the the history and the progress uh, with both Vouch and Rivet uh, so Vouch you, you just announced a big three C uh, congratulations uh, Travis do you want to give us a little bit more insight on all the progress and kind of where you're at now. Yeah. So when we launched the company, as, as Nick mentioned, we were very fortunate to do this with Ribbit and Silicon Valley Bank as kind of our two anchor partners. And then we went through we went through YC and launched the business really within um, on demo day, actually, uh, for the summer 19 batch. And so, you know, as an insurance company, we had to go state by state, kind of getting our initial products uh, approved and really activating each local market. And so we spent the first year of the business going from two states to 27 states, really proving out our go-to-market strategy, whether people would buy you know, what we were selling, and really making sure we solidified product market fit. And so we then spent the next year really building the next generation of our products, right? So using all those learnings to launch our own insurance company, because that was kind of a major uh, component of the value chain that we can talk a little more about. Launching five new policies on top of that, launching our own policy admin system, basically doing a lot of things that would help us accelerate our ability to ship new things, accelerate the velocity of the business, and critically move into the second phase of the business, which is scaling with these companies through IPO. I think a lot of people asked us early on, oh, Vouch is going to be like a broad-based SMB insurance company. Now, our, our vision is to really be the insurance carrier from formation through IPO and beyond for innovative businesses, technology, life sciences, et cetera. And the, the products we launched this summer really give us the ability to do that. So right now we're very focused on scaling with our fastest growing clients where, you know, we have, we have companies that are paying as little as $200 per year. We have companies that are, you know, have premiums north of several hundred thousand dollars per year. And so right now the focus is really on that, that scale moment for us and, and leveraging, you know, the policies, the carrier, et cetera, everything we launched over the last few months to, to make that happen. And so the Series C was really fuel to kind of continue that growth journey, not just, you know, capitalize the carrier, but continue to enable us to to build the team and, and hire more engineers to keep uh, you know accelerating our progress. Awesome. And before zooming out into into insure tech more broadly, uh, Nick, can can you discuss how you think about incubation at Ribbit and where it sits in the context of, of Ribbit and and how, how to do incubation well versus you know versus not well? How, how do you guys think about that? Eric, I wish we knew how to do it well. If we'd done it twenty times, maybe <laughs> maybe I could tell you, but but we haven't. Um, we've done it. We've tried to do it 
a couple of times. And I think that tells you a little bit about what I think, which is it's an incredibly hard thing to do. At the end of the day, venture firms can say that they start companies, but really founders start and build companies. They wake up every day, figure out the, the problems. It's one thing to have. I mean, Travis was giving me and Ribbit credit, but I, I think he's giving us way too much credit and not saying that in some, you know, with some false humility. I, I just think it's one thing to have an idea and do some research and, and put together a few pieces. It's another thing to go build. So for us, a good incubation requires first and foremost, an amazing team. An amazing team can go, especially these days, start any company that they want and probably raise money from a lot of different people. So if you want an amazing team to work with you and you want to be there from the very beginning, you've got to give them a good reason. And part of that is trying to be world-class partners and give them, you know, open up access to the data and the network that we have by, by virtue of investing in fintech around the world. But I think a bigger thing too is trying to help put some of the strategic pieces together. So with Vouch, for example, the first round of financing was very large and we uh, we had already with, with Sam and Travis as, as part of it brought um, SVB into, you know, part of the conversation, which was part of, you know, trying to secure distribution for the first phase of the business. I, I think, you know, that when, when you put all those factors together and you say, well, for the kind of business that we're trying to build an insurance business, what do you need? You need some distribution. You need a lot of capital. You need some partners who are really focused on the long term. You know, maybe that that's worth it for an amazing team to to join and work with you. So I'm not sure I, I, I fully answered your question, but I guess I would say, Ribbit would love to do more incubations with with great teams, but we won't do incubations just to have the line of business. I think we'll do it because there's a great idea and there's some great people we can work with. I remember a comment that Mickey made as we were like kicking things off that has always stuck out to me is I, I'm going to butcher this, but he said something like, you know, my job isn't to tell you and Sam what to paint. My job is to give you guys the the paint, the tools, the canvas and get to work and tell me when you need me. And that that always kind of stuck with me. And, and Travis, um, what would you say, having gone through this process, what, what are the, the main things, the, the main tools that, that Ribbit enable you that, that, that you think other entrepreneurs in this process that are thinking about doing an incubation with a VC firm should, should think about? I mean, Nick, Nick mentioned capital is really important in this line of business. And, and frankly, like, you know, I think if I, you know, I, I had started having conversations with some folks about a business, you know, basically vouched back in like 2016, right? But I was a young like venture analyst. No one really took me all that seriously. And so I think one, a lot changed between those, you know, those two or three years, but the ability to work with a partner like Ribbit when you're building a regulated capital intensive business that brings the credibility network, et cetera, to the table to enable us not just to, you know, access more capital, but also land a distribution partner like an SVB, you know, it accelerated our ability to go land the next series of distribution partners, Brex, WeWork, et cetera. Um, and so I think just credibility, big part of it, capital, a big part of it. But then also, I don't know, I just, I've really valued having Mickey and Nick around the table in particular, because I think they, they, they have, they kind of complement each other really well and push me in areas where I need pushed. Um, you know, Mickey's always pushing me to be more aggressive. Nick's pushing me to be a little bit more rigorous and analytical in some of the decisions we make. And I think that's a really good, a good balance. And so, um, you know, anyways, the, for me, that's, that's been the experience. It's been credibility capital and just having the right kind of people around the table to, to push us around, you know, building a big company. Right. And Nick and, and Travis, please chime in as well. But when you think about your uh, Ribbit's thesis for InsureTech broadly and how it has evolved over the years, thinking about, you know, full stack, tech enable or aggregator marketplaces, what are the spaces that you've been spending most of your time on? What, what are the things that you're, that you're most excited about? Yeah. 
I think the maybe the overrated thing uh, in insurance is is actually like the terminology you're trying to put things in boxes, and not just insurance, insure tech, but in in fintech more broadly. So saying full tech or tech en- or full stack or tech enabled, it, it doesn't in practice. I think it doesn't mean that much. They're, they're sort of shortcuts for analysts or investors. But the real question, and I think you know from a thesis perspective, we try to follow is like who's going to win the customers? Because at the end of the day. You know, we can probably say with reasonable certainty a few things. One is that tech has to be the differentiator for any startup that's going to win because the incumbents have licenses, have capital, have, you know, the regulators, you know, largely in their pocket uh, in many instances. The second thing is like, ultimately, there should be a lot of capital in the world for companies that that can show that they can find attractive risk reward and underwrite risk in an intelligent way. So. Um, you know, we, we, we try to find the founders who don't tell us, Hey, I want to build a full stack company, or I want to build a brokerage or, you know, but, but start with, here's what the customer problem is. And here's what I have to do to solve it. Obviously I'd rather be less licensed or, you know, rate, raise less money to do it, but I'll do those things if that's what it takes. And, and you can kind of see this, like I'll, I'll use lending as an example, cause it's a little bit ahead. It's been a little ahead of the insurance space. There've been plenty of lead gen balance sheet marketplace businesses that haven't worked. And when they didn't work, it's because. They didn't find a differentiated way to access customers or a reliable way to price risk. But then you see that Credit Karma became a huge business as an inter- intermediary, but a firm also became a huge business as a balance sheet lender. And then you have other companies that kind of came orthogonally like Square or Shopify that have become big lending businesses. And, and you realize that it's like form should follow function and function is really determined by what the customer needs. So maybe this is an obtuse answer to your question, Lucas, but I think the thing that we keep trying to find is entrepreneurs who can say, hey, here's the customer pain point and here's how I'm going to solve it. And usually that involves lowering costs, making it fast and simple and meeting the customer where they're at. These are all the things that Vouch is trying to do in the in the tech ecosystem. Right. And not, not to put things, things in buckets in terms of full stack or tech enabled, but if you were to think about a market, uh, market map of, of, of the spaces, different sides of insurance that, that you're excited about, for beginners, um, how, how, how would you think about that? And uh, what's top of mind to you? Well, maybe the first place I'd start is there's a lot to be done in all parts of insurance. The personal lines opportunity is big. Yeah, if you just asked me for my favorite, I would say that the commercial insurance opportunity is 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 probably the biggest, the most inefficient. And maybe I'd explain it this way, which was, you know, I sort of said the incumbents should win. But the reason why the incumbents might not win, why why founders like um, Travis and them have the opportunity is because the incumbents are stuck with legacy technology. They have challenges recruiting the same kind of talent and they're tied down in their channels. Most commercial insurance companies, their customer is a broker, not the end insured. And um, that's true a lot in personal lines, but in personal lines, you've seen more disruption in the last 20 years with companies like Geico and Progressive trying to go directly to the customer, but it really hasn't happened uh, in in insurance yet. So you take the the I think it's something like three hundred billion dollars in premiums written in commercial insurance in the in the U.S. alone, or think about roughly half of that is in small and medium sized businesses. It's an enormous market, and and very few entrepreneurs are going to do the really hard work to figure out how to build digitally native insurance companies because it takes a it takes a bunch of years and it takes a lot of yeah getting into the guts of. Uh, of solving like both hard technical challenges and also hard insurance challenges. So that we're 
you know, we're, we're, I think we're, we're biased towards that, that part of the market. Insurance more broadly, there's a lot that you could talk about around annuities, life and health, like different lines of business. But I, but I think commercial is, is where I, I'd encourage people to spend their time. And, you know, a great thing about it is from an investor standpoint, there really aren't that many entrepreneurs who are, are doing it again, because it's so hard. Travis, do you want to chime in? And it's okay if not. No, I, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm remembering this conversation. So when I was at SCB, I used to host these like quarterly insure tech dinners where we'd bring together like investors, founders, et cetera. This was like 2015, 2016. And I remember this like heated debate we had over full stack versus like distribution first businesses that are, you know, innovating at the distribution layer. And I was like team full stack, you know, we had, we had backed a couple businesses like Root and, and Ladder Life that were taking that approach. But I, my, my perspective has evolved to really match more of a lot of what Nick just said, which is what I, what I literally wrote down in my notes was overrated is this debate between full stack and enablers. You know, you're seeing a lot of companies do both offering proprietary and partnered products, opening up their infrastructure for others to build. And so like at the end of the day, there's this, there's this phrase in commercial insurance he who controls the customer wins. And I think that is still just as true as ever insurance. Distribution is king. And I would add one addendum to that. So long as you can ship great technology at a high velocity. And if you do those two things really well, you know, it's a, to Nick's point, it's about solving for the customer need. And I think to win in commercial insurance, you've got to have a bunch of different levers at your disposal, both new product creation, the ability to work with other, other carriers. We compete and collaborate with the same carriers on a daily basis. And I think, you know, it just comes back to distribution, client relationship and, and being able to ship things at a fast rate. Just, just to add to it. I mean, you think about Vouch is a great example. Travis said something important earlier, which is Vouch is really focused on serving customers kind of from startup to IPO. And that's a sort of an easy thing to say if you were, you know, building a CRM or, you know, some other kind of horizontal software that was just infinitely scalable, you, you would have challenges as your customers got bigger. But I would, I promise you, it's not nearly as complex as figuring out, you know, the, the needs of a seed stage company that might buy $500 or $1,000 of insurance versus a public company that might buy several million dollars of insurance. There are vastly different needs. And in order to serve customers all along the spe spectrum as you go, it's not good enough to say, hey, I want to be a full stack insurer and, you know, I want to do it all on my balance sheet because you can't, you know, you couldn't possibly do that. At the same time, if you just said, hey, I'm just going to sell other people's products, you could never recreate the kind of experience that Vouch has for that seed stage founder that just wants to get insured and get focused on building their company. Yeah, the, the opportunity lies in people who can manage the complexity of these, these things and, and build the tech stack. And it takes many years. And, and back to this question about you know, whether to incubate a business, I think maybe the best argument for incubating a business is that the founders and the investors kind of partner in a, in a very symbiotic way and say, hey, here's the timeline. Here's a deep understanding of what this is going to take maybe it doesn't make sense to view this the way you know typical a typical venture back tech company where you're constantly on this fundraising clock because i think sometimes that actually leads you to build you know you something that will get you to a local maximum but won't get you to the global maximum in very complex businesses that are regulated that are capital intensive you know etc right and Nick, so we were asking a few insure tech investors and founders about, you know, what, what are questions that you'd love to, to get uh, Rubit's thoughts on uh, about the insure tech space. Three spaces uh, that came out pretty consistently are platform insurance, embedded insurance, and, and cybersecurity. So we'd be curious to get kind of your over under uh, of how, you, how excited about you are uh, about these. 
I would say I'm, I, I'm, I think there's a good, really good opportunity in all of them, but, but if, if you force me to rank them, I'd say embedded is the broadest one. So I'll, I'll go because embedded really also encapsulates, uh, encapsulates cyber, which is a really exciting opportunity too. but embedded to me, it just means meeting a customer where they are. And the truism I heard at some point that they teach you in, uh, you know, in training at Procter and Gamble is that you're going to think about, uh, you know, toothpaste for a hundred, you know, a hundred percent of your time throughout the year, but your customer is going to think about it for seven seconds in, in, in the aisle in the drugstore. And that's kind of, I mostly think that's true about insurance is if you're doing your job, well, you're going to make this really easy for somebody who's trying to just think about building their business, which means you, you really, if you think that's true about most insurance, like you really have to be there at the moment, the customer needs you. And that's what embedded is about. So embedded has been happening in insurance for a really, really long time. But what's new now is you have all these new digital experiences. So, you know, some of the partnerships that Travis mentioned, like Vouch partnering with um, SVB or, or WeWork or, or someone like that to be there at the moment when, hey, say, for example, you've just done your, you know, your first, uh, your first major, your Series A financing. It's the first time you need to buy DNO. That's on a term sheet that was handed to you. Like, can somebody solve that problem for you at that moment? All the way to you know what what root insurance, which Travis just mentioned, is is doing with Carvana, where people are buying a car in that moment, they're likely to need or you know be willing to consider new insurance. Can you embed that so they don't have to go through the sort of mental exercise or overhead of going somewhere else? So embedded is 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 really big. It's one of these overused terms right now, but I also think it's it's really really important. And, and then um, you know cyber insurance and, and cyber security. I, I guess I just see as it's an example of a category or line of business that started as something really small. When we first invested, because we've invested in a few commercial insurance companies, not just in Vouch, one, uh, we invested in a company called Coalition, which is a, a Vouch partner. And when Coalition started, you know, the knock on, on the business was, hey, cybersecurity or cyber insurance is not that big a line of business. I think it was a couple billion dollars of premium. But this to me feels like investors looking at you know, um, Stripe in, in 2012 and saying, you know, hey, how big can this market really be? And the reality is Stripe's GMV now is bigger than the entire digital commerce, you know, um, business was or, you know, market was in 2012. Like that market has just gotten so much bigger. And I think that's what will happen with cyber. And, you know, the, even just the way we describe cyber insurance today is going to become a much bigger part of commercial insurance more broadly. So companies like Coalition and companies like Vouch will have to, um, a core competency will have to be understanding how the businesses they partner with manage and think about all the information around their company. Increasingly, that's becoming what a company is. And Nick, so Rivet recently led the uh, Series A of Brazil's based uh, Justos. Um, I wanted to ask this as I'm from Brazil myself. Uh, can you tell us, th there's been so much talk about investing in LATAM recently. Uh, Sequoia, A6Z, they both published essays saying now is the time for LATAM. Uh, and as you know, most of the deals, that, the big deals that would stick me out of LATAM, I, I think 50% of them tend to be fintech. Uh, what's your broad perspective on, on LATAM? How, how is Ribbit thinking about it? And particularly when it relates to insured tech? I think the time for LATAM has been the last 10 years and it will be for the next 10 years, just like you know other markets. But there's LATAM is, is really exciting because you see like in a lot of, uh, a lot of ecosystems, you, know, you could say the same, but, but I think it's really true, especially in, in LATAM right now. You have this first wave of companies 
that have opened people's eyes and it, and um, changed their imagination about what you know how ambitious they can be about things. So New Bank, which is uh, on the precipice of of going public, is the best example of this. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are looking at New Bank and saying, "Wow." If David and, and his team can go and build this in a category that everybody would have told you, there's no way you can build a new bank in Brazil. In fact, that's what we told David when we first talked to him about it. And it, it can turn into the most popular, the fastest growing digital banking service by far in, 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 in Brazil and Latin America. I, I think it just helps entrepreneurs see that there's there's really huge potential. So we, we invested in um, Jusos because the team is terrific and is is really impressive at the end of the day um i think that's true in a lot of insurance and it's true in a lot of financial and services like there's not a question of whether customers need this product it's just can the team build a good enough technology a strong enough have a strong enough culture of of product-led growth to um to to convince customers to to choose them and so the the bet on justos is that the insurance market in brazil just like the banking market was is it's slow it's inefficient it's lacking, um, you know, people who are really thinking about what the customer wants, and the Juicos team is gonna you know, is gonna tackle it just like um, just like you know companies like Voucher trying in the U.S. Right, and and maybe one final question before we get to advice for founders in the space. If if you think about you know if you meet the next Travis and Sam excited to 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 build something in the space, what would what would your request for start startups be? Uh, you know, do you have an idea or, or an insight? That you, you haven't seen anybody build uh, in, in the industry yet. I think you want to look just where the where where there's growth, and one one obvious place there's growth is in the crypto ecosystem. And there are all kinds of insurable risks that are emerging in crypto around you know uh, crypto. Uh, you know, people in the mining business need property insurance. Very hard to get it. Developers want you know coverage or you know other professional liability coverage. It's really hard to get it. You know, DAOs uh, have their own emergent risks. Protocols have smart contract risks. Like there's there's really interesting new stuff to understand there to make that ecosystem grow. Part of what makes me excited about Vouch is that, you know, by saying that you're the company that's going to serve the innovation economy, you, you follow the innovators wherever they'll take you. So I think Vouch will be, you know, already is is working on a number of these products and and is the company that I would point to as being well positioned to, to tackle some of these opportunities. But there's, you know, there's room for, there's room for a lot more too. Um, if I could, if you wouldn't mind, I could put a, maybe a PSA out there. If if you're someone that's excited about solving these problems and could use a good platform with infrastructure to build on, give me a call because I think these are to, to your point. There are so many problems within commercial insurance and crypto in particular that uh, we're in this disaggregation moment of these like you know I think niche solutions and you know we want to be a, a platform to help consolidate that. I'll say one one other thing, Lucas, because it kind of demonstrates you know sometimes in insurance the market's so big that um, the word niche, it doesn't, it, it doesn't quite do justice to like, you could build a big company just doing that thing. And um, one personal thing is, you know, we buy VCAP insurance, a lot of venture firms do. And it's, you know, we, we also like have the same experience that startups do in terms of wondering like, why is it priced this way? Why did the rates just move? Like, why don't we get any support or services around this? You know, what should we be priced the same way as some other you know, venture firm that we think is is sloppier about how they do business. So Vouch is, I think, Travis, um, ready to to sell this product. Uh, we haven't bought it yet because uh, we. Yeah. Well, we, we're actually we're working. Cover our limits, Nick. But. Nick, we're working. We're working with OnDeck and covering the new venture funds there, but not not Village Global and Ribbit yet. So I gotta I gotta give both <laughs> you guys some shit. 
Awesome. Well, yeah, let's, let's make it happen. Nick, I remember you guys had this insurance uh, re- report you, you, you created a few years ago that I, I was, I was lucky to read. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, I should say it as a segue is that you guys have been excited about the space for a long time. How have you seen the, the space evolve in, in the past few years about uh, any, any major changes or what's, what's newly exciting or, or what has accelerated? My answer is going to sound so, like I'm such a, a fuddy-duddy or like, you know, just a, a very lame answer, but I think it's the, the truest. I don't think our thesis has changed. I think this is just a space where it's going to take 20 years for the thesis really to play out in part because you can't build a great insurance company overnight. It, it takes too much capital. It takes time. And we're sort of at that phase, I guess I would say, we, we worked on that letter for, for our investors in 2014 that, that, that you must have gotten a hold of, Eric. Um, so we're, whatever, seven years in. And I think we're just kind of, I don't know if it's the second or third inning, but you have the first companies that have gone public. Now you have the public markets doubting. And we saw this happen in lending too with, with you know, Lending Club, I think, went public in 2016. And everybody said, hey, maybe it was 2015. I, I'm sort of losing track of time. But um, everybody said at that moment, first it was, wow, Lending Club's a marketplace. It's changing how lending works. Nobody's ever seen anything like this before. And then suddenly it was, no, Lending Club's just a specialty finance business. Nothing to see here. You know, All these companies are going to go out of business. And you fast forward five years in lending and Lending Club did not go out of business. In fact, it's doing reasonably well. On Deck did go out of business. Sorry, different On Deck. <laughs> uh, uh, it more or less went out of business. You know, it's not that everybody had success, but then you turn around and you look and well, you're like, well, Upstart's a $30 billion business, a firm's a $50 billion business. And, you know, what you, you saw in all that was it actually just, it takes time for the best businesses and the best business models to emerge. And I think in insurance, we're just through that first little phase. So you have the public markets doubting companies like, you know, Hippo or Root that are run by really talented teams that have built a lot of resources. And I think those companies have a chance to go prove that actually there'll be much, much bigger businesses and the market is, is wrong to just see them as just another insurance company because they really are modern software businesses that sort of are wrap, wrapped around an insurance company. And then you have you know businesses like Vouch that are pushing the next frontier of, well, how do we become embedded, make the partnership, you know, make the bets on partnership channels, make the bets on a set of customers. And then while you're doing that, build the infrastructure that over time you can kind of externalize or, or you can use to move horizontally into other categories. Like we're we're you know, we're 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 just sort of at the beginning, I think. So um it, I don't know that's if a guys, answer, but if you guys don't mind, there's two things I wanted to add to that real quick. One is Nick, I don't know if you realize this. I actually every new hire at Vouch, I give them your 2014 insurance letter as like an onboarding primer. Um, so it's still pretty, pretty darn true. People, and then I think we'll stay at the company. Yeah, I get I mean it, it works. And then secondly, um, you know, I I do. I think we should acknowledge the fact that like companies like Vouch are getting to stand on the shoulders of that first wave of insure tech, right? So because Alex and Asaf built Root and Hippo into these amazing companies that are are taking a lot of flack in the public markets today, but it paved the path for us to now chase after you know a really complex line of business in professional liability for tech companies, and like that wouldn't have been possible without that first wave over the last you know five to ten years. I think you're seeing it in sure tech too. Maybe to state something that's obvious because we've seen it in banking or fintech more broadly, first you have the unbundling and people say, hey, here's a product innovation I'm going to offer. You know, Lemonade would be a great example because they just bought Metromile. 
I'm going to offer cheaper renters insurance and I'm going to make it a beautiful digital experience. And I'm going to onboard every 25 year old in New York city and other similar geos. And then over time, as they, you know, raise capital and grow and, and get to be bigger, the question is, well, can they really surround a customer and own a, a customer, you know, back to this sort of point about vouch in the innovation economy, it's, you know, that that's really where, you know, I get, I think you get to build an enduring company is, can you evolve into, can you evolve into a business that does more than just, you know, one, one, one thing. Um, so not surprising and smart, I think to see, um, someone like lemonade buying Metro mile and starting to expand their aperture. Yeah. To, to double click on the public market performance, um, Travis, you've known and studied and worked with some of these companies for, for a real long time. Uh, and as Nick mentioned, a lot of these companies have been struggling hippo and root after they went public in the last year or two. Um, what do you think that the markets are not full, uh, appreciating yet? Uh, besides maybe just the fact that these are, you know, software first businesses. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not nearly as close to those businesses today. Cause you know, I've been kind of like heads down living under a rock for the last three years, but I'll tell you just from like a more of an, I guess, an outsider's perspective, I, I do think that folks that are used to analyzing insurance businesses aren't sure how to think about the growth rates that these companies have experienced in particular and what that does to core profitability metrics within a book of business. But I'm also not sure that they, they really know how to think about the compounding gains of being a technology company and having differentiated distribution. I think those two things in particular can really compound on a business. And so I think, you know, for instance, some of the things that Root's doing right now with Carvana, like great example of differentiated distribution. I think from a data perspective, what I've seen in the filings from, you know, how, for instance, the the latest telematic models have progressed. I, I, I'm not sure that those that that progress is really being you know baked into the price of the business. Now, I think the the third reality of these things is that you know these are very operationally complex businesses with a lot of kind of regulatory and capital constraints, and so I think that's where scaling becomes all the more harder. I think the problems of scale present themselves you know as you grow, and so that's where I think having really patient capital partners around the table goes a long way, and where I think. Being a public company in some as as a as a company that's still growing through those hyper growth phases in a highly complex category, being a public company makes it all that much harder because I think you end up wasting a lot of cycles on you know trying to make this a predictable business when it's just not yet. And so again, I would say that's underinformed. Nick probably has much better ideas, but that's just my outsider's perspective. Yeah. So what have we not yet discussed on this podcast in terms of? Uh, Nick, perhaps what's a request for startups that you have of if you're going to, you know, back more insure tech companies in the next few years, or, or even, you know, incubate one, what, what subsectors would you be, or opportunities or white space are, are you excited about that we've not yet covered? There's a big part of the, um, opportunity for disruption. That's about reaching consumers or businesses directly. There's also a big part of it, which is meeting, um, consumers or businesses at the point of sale. Uh, so the embedded opportunity. But their um, insurance is very big. It's very complex. There are lots of types of businesses, many businesses who will, and, and consumers will continue to want to work through agents. And I think there really is an opportunity to build better software to empower the next generation of agents. I think a lot of the, the software that has been built for um, for agents, I would describe you know, historically as like, hey, we look at a big agency and then we try to figure out what their pain points are and then we build software to sell to them, as opposed to, hey, what's the, you know, what's the, 20 year old today who is going to end up being an insurance agent. Um, because by the way, it's a great job. Like you, you can make a lot of money and you can really, uh, you, you can really, um, do, do a lot of good by being a, a high quality agent in the insurance business. It's a, a, a complex thing for customers to figure out. 
Um, so what are the tools? What's, the, what's their workflow look like? What's their, how are they going to manage and build customer relationships? What kind of products are they going to plug into? What, one thing that I think, you know, people, people tend to look at a company like Root or Hippo or, or Vouch or, or Next Insurance or Coalition or others and say, hey, these are, you know, they think about them as the channel they're in today. But I guess what I see, because these businesses are like icebergs, like there's so much complexity underneath in terms of building state-by-state -state licensing regime and your own policy management system and, you know, lots of, you know, lots of, of insurance products for different lines and classes of business. It's that you're going to probably amortize all that that you build across different channels. So in other words, or to be more, more, um, more exact, someone like a, a, a vouch will over time probably sell direct, but also sell through agents. And um, if you're then thinking, you know, back to this, this question of like, well, what is the agency management system or what is the best software for agents look like in the future? It probably, um, it probably, it probably plugs into this new wave of digital product creators in a way that creates a much better experience for the end insured and makes the agents much more efficient. So we're, I'm interested in that category. I think it's often the case that first you have the disruptors, then you, you know, have the tools that enable some of the other distributors to be disruptive. And then ultimately you might have software that helps some of the best incumbents the, the nimblest incumbents try to compete. And I think in that last category, it, it's that probably feels the furthest away for me. Um, but there are some, there are some, you know, ways to, to go, but I think there are some, you know, there are some high quality companies that are building software for insurance companies. Um, I tend to think it, it's probably with a couple exceptions, not the best, like not where I would go spend my time when, when the innovation economy, when, um, you know, the, 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 the behavior of businesses and consumers is changing so quickly. I'd go pursue something like crypto. Right. Can I take, go can ahead. I take another angle at that? Cause I, I think there's a, okay. Insurance has played this important role when you look back over the last like thousand years, right? So every major technological innovation, you know, drives societal change and, you know, whether it be homeowners insurance from the great London fire of 1666 or whatever it was to, you know, maritime insurance, except like these are all, they're all totally driven by these big technological like changes in society. And ultimately, you know, insurance is just something where if you have the data to reason, you know, to with reasonable confidence, predict the likelihood and severity of something happening. And that price is, is palatable by the market. You have an insurance product. And I, I worry that sometimes we're as a, you know, um, as a class of entrepreneurs, we get too caught up in, well, how do I improve this existing insurance product that's on the market today? And we're not asking ourselves enough about what are the major risks that are keeping parents, entrepreneurs, whoever the customer is, who are keeping those people up at night. And can we use the modern data that's at our disposal to actually put a price on that and help people transfer that risk and, and manage it more effectively? And so, you know, the example that I use on, on for Vouch in particular is there's this rule in commercial insurance that 30% of business risk is insurable. And that's been like the same number for decades, apparently. Well, if we have access to your cap table data and we integrate with your bank account and your HRIS and all these things, why can't we, you know, not only reduce friction and underwriting, but identify new insurance products that move that number to 40%, 50%, 60% of business risk being insurable and fundamentally grow the TAM of the market the same way Uber, Airbnb have, but also help society, like put shock absorbers on society. We're in this moment of accelerating change. And so, you know, those are the problems that I think about all the time. But I think if you apply that lens to pretty much every segment of the economy, there's this whole white space around creating, particularly within crypto and Web3, whole sorts of white space to create new, new uh, insurance products if you put that lens on it. 
Can I, can I ask you, um, you know, through the on-deck cohorts, where do you see, to the extent you, you see entrepreneurs bringing up insurance or exploring it, where, where does the energy seem to be? Yeah, I um, not a ton different from from what you guys are saying. I, I think that it's a it's a space that a lot of we're seeing people get excited about who don't have domain expertise, and they're looking to they they know that they're big businesses to build, and they want to partner with with people such as yourself at Ribbit or people you know yourself, Travis, who, who worked in it a little bit before, who um, who have domain expertise and, and what we can what we can partner on. And I think that's just a broader trend that we've seen. Um, and you know, there's we sometimes say that. In um, you know, 2005 or whenever YC was getting off the ground, uh, the arbitrage uh, was you know people weren't backing like technical founders who were generalists, and and because they could just build sort of like the first layer of what became these 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 startups that didn't require domain expertise. But as software has started to really uh, you know eat the world and is now going like very uh, niche, uh, domain expertise actually matters a lot more, and especially as it's become easier and easier to to you know get products off the ground or to build or AWS etc. Um, so we're seeing people with, with domain expertise in like very sub, you know, sub areas or niche areas, uh, be, be more in demand. And that we're excited to, to back them and find them, help them find co-founders. And I think one exciting thing, and I won't be the first to say it probably like the, the 900 VC to, uh, to, to, to articulate the thesis, but I think it's really true. And we're still early in it is that, you know, software and financial services are merging or another way of saying this is that financial services is becoming a layer in the software stack. And I think, you know, what, what that means is historically there are a lot of verticals where you probably just couldn't build a venture scale business. There were some like, you know, you, you see vertical software businesses that have become really big, say in home services or, or, or in construction. Um, but there, there are fewer and further between, cause there are lots of other, um, there are lots of other verticals where, you know, an entrepreneur or business owner probably would like something that's specialized or built for them. But where if you add up all those entrepreneurs times what they're willing to pay for a SaaS platform, maybe it doesn't, it, it, it can build a good business, but maybe not a venture scale business. Now, when you start to say, hey, that software company is actually the best positioned company from a data and distribution and context standpoint to provide um, financial services, you know, payments is the one that's happened the most so far, but insurance is another, you know, really logical one. And you say, well, what's the TAM of, you know, the, the insurance market serving restaurants or doctor's offices or dentists or, or, or whoever. And, and you start to imagine, you know, the, the, the company that serves those, those, those ecosystems and sells them software plus payments, plus lending, plus insurance. And, and maybe they're not building it all themselves. They're probably partnering with a company like Vouch who's built a lot of the complexity and the infrastructure, but they're capturing a meaningful amount of the rent. So I, I think for founders who, you know, are, are interested in insurance, it, it, it pays to say, well, what, Who's the customer you want to serve and what software can you build for them? And then you can work your way into like, should I also be an insurance company for them? Uh, and, and that's probably a good algorithm for figuring out a good business opportunity as opposed to saying like, well, what's just like the best commercial insurance market? To double click on the point about, you know, advice for founders, um, wanted to spend a few minutes talking about what are maybe other pieces that, that, that you may have uh, that you think are underrated that founders building in the, in the space should know. And Travis, I, I thought it would be fun to start actually, uh, Shub Monhat uh, from Better Tomorrow Ventures just tweeted last week how two or three of his founders of now successful unicorn companies came to him and told him that he actually that that they wanted to have a board early on and that they think it would have actually benefited the company. And I know this has the case this has been the case with Vouch. 
So do you want to talk a little bit more about that and, and why, why in particular in tech that might actually matter? Yeah. I mean, th there's a lot, I think, that goes into that. You know, I mentioned before, just I think the credibility and expertise component of having like great, not just investors, but board members, like that's critical, I think, for any kind of business, particularly for this kind of business. Um, but I also think there's just an accountability mechanism that goes into having a, a great board behind you. And so actually, um, you know, there's whenever I talk to new founders that are just getting started on a new idea, I really encourage them to think about why don't you create like a synthetic board effectively that has, you know, friends, family, whomever it is around the table that you can send updates to either weekly, every six weeks, whatever the right cadence is. And they're your informal board. And you start creating that muscle really early on. But it also enables you to, I think, identify where do you need to fill in your gaps, right? And I think we've been, we've tried to be very thoughtful about with each new person that we add to the, to the vouch board, what are they bringing to the table that's fundamentally different than, than what we have there today? And I think, you know, with Anu coming on and, jo and joining the board in our series B, she was able to bring us a whole different, you know, kind of perspective in working with all the founders she works with at YC. And I think her her unique experience as a growth investor. And so uh, the complimentary pieces thing, when you fill out a team, same thing with your board. And I think um, just having that, I, I think it's never too early to like get at least that synthetic board mechanism in place, particularly when you're in a world where venture investors, I think in today's environment are stretched, you know, all the more, you know, you're talking about being on 10, 20, 30 boards, maybe. And so um, I think when you can get people really locked in and invested in caring about your business and like having having that skin in the game early on, it can make a big difference. To say something trite, but that I think is really true. Boards are either the I, I see them either as like the best or worst experiences in our job. And the 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 thing that's uniformly true when they're the best is that the founder has thought about the board as a way of making. Uh, of helping them do their job and comes to the board and says, I need this board to be 30 minutes or I need this board to be three hours or I need this board to be structured this way. Um, but they've really thought about it. Like, what do, what do, what does the business need? And I think, you know, having, you know, you have the right board members if they respond to that well, and you know, you have the wrong board members if they try to say, Hey, this is what the board is for me to capture information or to try to tell you what I think is the most important thing. Um, so it, it, I think it's worked to vouch having a board from very early on in part just because there was a lot of trust between Travis and, and, and Sam and, and us. But, but, but you know, I, I wouldn't recommend it for every founder. I think it's really something you should do if, if you have somebody great and if you have the mentality to say, hey, I think this can really help, help me have regular check-in points to structure what are the biggest challenges or strategic questions I'm facing. Yeah, I hundred percent on in terms of like it's got to be the right folks around the table. I the other th I you know I've been part of when I was a board observer like on the venture side. I remember talking to some founders about they viewed their board as a complete waste of time, and like this is something I just have to do, and I'm just gonna like nod and smile and pretend like I'm listening to their advice, and then I'm gonna go move on. And like I think that's because you didn't have the right people around the table to begin with. And perhaps as a final question, um, what are the most common misconceptions or, or mistakes that you see founders making in, in the insurance space? I, I have one, Nick, I'm sure you probably see a lot more than I do, which is I think just hiring a chief insurance officer because they've worked in the industry without any sort of like perspective on what are the things they spike in, what's their actual relevant domain expertise. Just because you're a technologist and they come from insurance doesn't mean they actually bring the skill set that you need to, to run the business. You know, someone could be coming from an ops background, an underwriting background, a claims background, and you kind of need the, at least for a business like Vouch, we need really that full value chain. And so 
finding someone like John Wallace who has worn all those hats and built you know large teams and books of businesses that was really important for us but I I honestly probably would have if if I hadn't had the right you know Nick and other founders and founders that had built insurtech companies before challenging me really early on and pushing me on that dimension I probably just would have hired somebody that had like some commercial insurance experience and called it a day and and we would be I think way behind where where we're at as a result um Lucas I, I would say go you know, you have to know what game you're playing and, and not every business is the same. We all look for these venture playbooks or, you know, here's how you uh, hyperscale a company. And I just think in different categories, different types of companies actually require different pacing. Now they, they all require you going fast, but they also require different, having different timelines in your mind. So I always say like in insurance, I think you got to move really fast, but you have to be patient. And, And what I mean by being patient is, you've got to build the company with the end you have in mind. I think if you just woke up and you said, well, how do I, how do I um, make this business really big, really fast? You actually, you're probably a lot less likely to build the enterprise value that comes from building a lot of your own systems, developing the right technology, the right integrations, the right customer experience, because the truth is there are a lot of, like we, we say that the, you could say, Hey, the insurance industry, that uh, suffers from innovation, a lack of innovation, but that's actually like, it's really false. There's insurance is full of every possible type of innovator and, and huckster and salesman. Like they're incredibly smart people in the industry, but there's been a lack of our, I think people are great at building software and can then think about how to, you know, serve the, the growing digital economy. So if you want to be a company that does that, that's a software company at its heart, but that also um, manufactures or distributes insurance products, then I think you have to remember that and not get on the insurance treadmill really fast while forgetting that in the end, you either have to create a better experience or make it more efficient um, or offer something, you know, in a channel that other, other people can't participate in. And, and that means you have to be a digital company at heart. Yeah. That's a good place to, to wrap. My guests today have been Nick Shalik of, of, of Ribbit and, and, and Travis Hedge of Vouch. Travis, do you want to leave us with any, uh, any plugs or any, anything upcoming or, or where can people learn, learn more? Just head to vouch.us. Obviously, we you know we serve uh, technology and life science companies exclusively. So you know, head over to vouch.us. We'd be we'd love to help out. Travis, Nick, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been a great episode. Thank you so much, guys. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks, guys, for having us. See you. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.